Welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. And I am Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 7, titled Bingo. Uh, I think the name game does not need to be played this this episode. No, Bingo was its name-o, <laughs> and that's the end of the story. Yes. Uh, before we get into the cast proper, why don't you tell us a little bit about this episode? Before I get into that, oh God, some, something exciting. This weekend, we were able to have a conversation with Alex Giannopoulos and Dennis Muscari. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex, we met back at the Breaking Bad Fan Fest. He is their uh, location scout, and he was a really entertaining fellow. Uh, we noticed a couple weeks ago that they had started a uh, new podcast series called Fail Scouts. Mm-hmm. But you can find it on failscouts.com. So we hit him up and like, hey, podcasting bros, let's uh, let's let's talk up about Bre- uh, Better Call Saul. So uh, it's an interesting interview. It's about an hour long uh, talking about what is into location scouting and the unique challenges of being a location scout in Albuquerque mm-hmm. and experiences on both Breaking Bad uh, and Better Call Saul. So if you'd like to find out more about the behind the scenes uh, movie making Hollywood television Below making, the line. The below the line aspects. And if you want to know what that term means, listen yeah, to the interview. <laughs> to the very end, because we don't get to it till in, to the end of the interview. But uh-huh. uh, uh, it'll be out uh, tomorrow around 3 p.m. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, but the people responsible for making this, the above uh-huh. the line folks, director uh, Larissa Kondraki, uh, Shane Bowman on the forum said that uh, she's a new member to the Villa Gang. But has directed episodes of The Americans, Walking Dead, Halt and Catch Fire, and Copper. She also wrote and directed the 2010 film The Whistleblower. As a funny side note, went to Canada's or God went to Canada's. I always want to say Canada because they're Canadians. Uh, went to Canada's uh, true. McGill University prior to getting her Master of Fine Arts at Columbia. Hmm. Interesting. How ironic. Okay. Yeah, McGill. At least went, it wasn't American Samoa. <laughs> be funny if you went to American Kondraki University, <laughs> then the circle would be complete. Yep. Jennifer, on the other hand, is a member of the Villa Gang. She has recently worked on television's The Strain. <laughs> okay. Uh, but also, she was a series writer for five episodes on Breaking Bad, including standouts such as Confessions and Salud. Ah, uh, yeah, right. season four spectacular there. Yeah. And she she wrote all five of the classic Breaking Bad minisodes. Twat Hammer, mm-hmm. Hank finds out uh, he fucked a dude, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the Hank, uh, presumably Hank and Marie's uh, Hanky Panky episode. Yep. So uh, you can find those easy on YouTube if you search for Breaking Bad minisodes. They're pretty entertaining. Cool. Yeah, I, I saw those. Those were good. So uh, there you go. All right. How about a recap? Let's do it. We start off with Mike and Jimmy uh, in the police off the police headquarters or whatever there in Albuquerque. Uh, they're returning the notepad. Sure. Because they got a call. Just uh, found it outside. Yeah. Just dude, walking dude, across the parking lot. I was, doing I was a good here, here to straighten all this out and just found it for you. Yep. Uh, and then Mike dismisses Saul and talks with the older cop from Philly, who I guess I guess those two go way back. Seems like it. Yeah. Um. They have a, a a little conversation here where not much is said. They both seem to be very similar kinds of guys, right? Mm-hmm. Like, both very quiet. They both have kind of the, I call it like a lazy face. They're both stamped from the sourpuss. <laughs> yeah, patch for of sure. The, the cabbage patch kids, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so that, that was interesting to see. What do you think of the setup of the mug shots 
panning yeah. down armed and dangerous, extremely dangerous people, and then you get the Saul's. I love it. I, I love, love it. The, his little doe face because he is going to be a criminal at some point. I mean, he kind of already is. Slipping Jimmy is a criminal. Sure. Uh, yeah. Jimmy, as he stands, is not really a criminal. I mean, he took a bribe from the Kettleman's. That's yeah. You probably shouldn't do that. Uh, but he becomes much more of a criminal, you know, later on. And he's still got, he's still paying enough that he, he put the money back, which I'm not sure was necessary. I like if, if, if they return one point, one point five six million dollars, uh, or one point four six million dollars instead of one point five, or I think it was one point six, so it's one point five four instead of one point five six and Jesus Christ, whatever, <laughs> whatever the fractional math works out to be that I can't do at ten o'clock in the morning. Uh-huh. Um, I feel like that that would be good enough. I don't think so. Really, I think it's an all or nothing deal here. Like thirty grand short, that's the deals off the you're table. You're going, yeah, you're going to prison. Hmm. We're gonna take that money, and you're going to prison. Like I. I don't know. I, I felt like he kind of did that for Kim in a way, too. Like, oh, that well, is yeah. not all just, you know, to help the no, Kettleman's out because course. it gives the case back to Kim in the end. Of course. But I guess I never, I, my thing is that everything's open to negotiation. So 30 grand short, it would not, <laughs> as a prosecutor, it wouldn't blow my, I'm not my, sure that's the case. It with wouldn't the law. blow my hair back to learn that 30 grand is just gone. Sure. I, yeah, they spent it on a boat. Like, and they could, pro- yeah, you know? like they could. I'm sure the state could go off uh, after their assets if they wanted to get the other thirty grand back. But you know, you might be right. And, and uh, the thing is, is I don't know what this does to Jimmy's setup because wow, there's so much to talk about in this episode. Uh, maybe with the I office that he's buying well, I mean, obviously that, leasing. but like how much of these bingo things that he's hosting, and obviously his mm-hmm. new Matlock suits and all that stuff. <laughs> And and also I he didn't have thirty grand. Where did the other ten come from? It came from his cases. I I think he's doing some lucrative business. So now. you don't think okay? Because I've got I I've got a whole bunch of mixed feelings about how I feel how he's really doing. So yeah, the, okay. the it looked like he had about fifteen grand left. He took fifteen grand and he's generated from these old be these old mm-hmm. folks. Yep. And uh, through kicked Added it in twenty five. I was wondering if he had to take out a loan. <laughs> and maybe like we'll find out that it's would a suck. it's an unsavory type sure. of type of thing too. Yeah, I I think he's doing pretty well. Um we'll we'll get there. Because I it seems like that if he was doing well, I guess if he's doing that well and he just destroyed his nest egg, like why wouldn't he go forward with the office plan? Hmm. Or if not know. that office, then something nicer than the boiler room of a nail salon. <laughs> you would think, yeah. He, he could get an upgrade that is somewhere in the middle between those. Mike comes out of the parking lot, um, out to the parking lot, sorry. And uh, Jimmy's there. He asks him what he told the Philly cop. And Mike, in Mike fashion, doesn't say a damn word about it and drives off. Uh, I mean, he says a word or two, but he doesn't give away any information. Uh, I really like how <laughs> Jimmy's like, please don't say Hamlin, Hamlin, and McGill. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was really funny. Then Jimmy gets to Chuck's house, and Chuck is outside counting. And he he comes inside, and he's like, yeah, I'm trying to get used to this EM stuff, build up a tolerance, because he wants to get back to work. Which is great. It's a placebo treatment <laughs> for a fake condition. Uh-huh. And... I was I was kind of moved by Jimmy being so happy, like tears in his eyes, like 
Yeah. You know, Jimmy realizes bullshit, but this is a perfect solution. You fight bullshit with bullshit. Absolutely. Get him a magic feather or a copper bracelet or magnetic shoes or what, uh-huh. whatever from the Sky Mall catalog he needs uh-huh. <laughs> to get by, you know? Sure. Make a, get, an, get an Armani suit made out of the uh, foil blanket material. There you go. That yeah. would look. That would look just like start, some... just put wool over it, right? Like <laughs> put wool or cotton on the outside. You're good. Man. I don't know. I mean, I feel like he. That's how we're supposed to be dressing. You're right. According if to Back to the Future, is... t- Back mm-hmm. to Future Two. So like he would just be be someone needs to usher us into the new age. <laughs> it's It'll clearly not going to happen by itself. We've gotten yeah. complacent. We need someone forward thinking and crazy enough to do it. I submit Chuck is that guy. He, he's going to redefine the term Chucks when it comes to clothing. It's now going to be the suit of the space <laughs> material. Uh, we did so. We did blow past a little minor point, which is Mike is trusting his entire fate to his daughter-in-law. Yes, that's who true. Who we mentioned at the end of the last podcast, I thought, gave some complicated body language in response to mm-hmm. the confession that Mike made. Yeah. So... I mean, clearly, Mike is not in any kind of immediate danger. Uh, but yeah. what do you think is going to come of that? Do you think that's just going to go away? Uh, hmm. No, I don't think it's just going to go away. I think there's going to be more with these Philly cops. It looked like young cop was on the warpath. Um, old cop doesn't care so much about it, uh, seemingly. But I think you don't bring that up and just drop it very quickly. Sure. Is so that going to be something I, I where I have to wait till the finale or maybe even is this going to drag in the next, I don't feel like I want it to drag in the next season. No, I don't really either, but I they, they could when... drop it for an episode. That'd be fine yeah, with yeah. me. Okay. Um, and then come back to it. Uh, can we talk about the files being stored yeah. at Chuck's? What is the scam here? Because there is most certainly a scam. I, I think the scam is, Saul might, or Saul, Jimmy might want some help with his case files. That's and what I was Chuck immediately too. goes to that well. He goes in there, he's looking around, and he's like, hmm. And right after he says, I want to get back to work. Yeah, I feel like that Jimmy's plan is to essentially use him as unpaid yeah. legal aid. He's not doing any other legal work, so right. let him let him get it, cut his teeth again on this stuff. Could that be a path forward that, like, because... Jimmy is undoubtedly a better front man. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like H.H. and McGill all over again, right? Uh, Hamlin clearly is the guy that uh, goes out and brings in the big game. And then McGill's probably the guy. McGill's probably the guy that then quietly and efficiently makes sure they win the cases. People like McGill and Kim. So yeah. why wouldn't Jimmy, why, why wouldn't he hitch, hitch his wagon up to that? Yeah, sure. Maybe he puts he, he pitches uh, uh, Chuck as as uh, the corner the new corner office, except for it all be like behind blast shields and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing: I don't know how how Jimmy could possibly have made this part of his plan. Like we haven't had any indication that Chuck has wanted to get back into the law game right now. Well, no, I thought in the pilot they mentioned that. He was getting a bit of his caseload that Jimmy was trying to hide from him because he didn't want him doing work and, you know, he wanted to get the settlement. Mm-hmm. So it's not out of character. Plus, I think this is the guy that he's kind of starved for mental stimulation. 
So Jimmy was just counting, like, if I give him this box full of stuff, he's going to go through it. And I, and also, if I casually mention that I got maybe some details wrong, that <laughs> kind of his sense of fiduciary responsibility mm. and his love for me as a brother and his wanting a challenge in a new area of law he probably never practiced. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I mean, elder law, yeah, yeah, like that's that, that. He's getting to be an elder maybe once in that game. You know, <laughs> I can, I need to brush up on this. I'm going to need that knowledge. It's an irresistible, ir- irresistible thing uh, for him to do. All right, uh, Jimmy and Kim go to see an office suite where Jimmy offers her a partner position and a corner office, but she turns it down because she has too much invested in HHM. Uh, this, this is rough for Jimmy. Yeah. You know, it, he was uh, expecting to dazzle her with this new office. Uh, didn't work. Almost, it kind of almost worked. Yes. And the jury's still out. Works. The jury's still out about them joining forces because... I don't think it is. I think they're going to team up at some point. Well, okay, that's what I meant. Like, even despite... Because okay. she actually had a lot more protestations than I thought she would. Yeah. And especially the way Hamlin treated her. Yeah. Was something that was no fault of her own. Like, Yeah, now, if she messes up a single time, she's out of her office. She's going to another wing. Uh, yeah, maybe they, fired. Like, best case scenario, your your two-year plan's a 10-year plan. Yeah. To me, fuck that. Fuck that. I'll, yeah. I'll go and maybe build this thing into its own successful... Mm-hmm. That I'll that I'll be a you know a fifty fifty partner right up to the front. I mean, I it it felt like it was clearly she has a lot of fun with Jimmy. It felt like it mm-hmm. should have been a more tempting offer than it was. Yeah, I think it was tempting, but she's you just know, she's, very pragmatic. Yeah, and yeah. she's deep in her career at another place. It's it's tough to unwind from that. Sure. Uh, Kim tells the Kettlemans that their case doesn't look good. Oh, God, the and fucking Kettlemans. <laughs> they're looking at making a deal for 16 months in a county prison and giving back all the money or going to federal pounding in the ass prison for 30 <laughs> years. Uh, she has no regard for her husband's butthole, apparently, because... Zero. That's Their relationship is weird, isn't it? Like, th- yeah. Because when, when we start this scene, th- she's, like, got her hand on his hand. Uh-huh. And as soon as there's a mention of a deal and giving back money, she pulls her hand away real quick. And, and, and like, later on when the coffee comes and both Jimmy and her wave it away without Mr. Kettleman getting any of the – getting a chance to say, yeah, I want some coffee – their relationship feels very strange to me. I just can't wait for season five of Better Call Saul when Miss Kettleman has re- been redeemed as a character and is Saul's right hand woman. <laughs> the article by Vince Gill uh, Vince Gilligan that says, "I just don't understand why people ever hated Miss Kettleman." Uh, yes, like what you know? It's like I I wrote her as I wrote her as a rich, vibrant character from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Bull, this woman <laughs> is like constructed. From Frankenstein parts to be a terrible, terrible person. Sure. And, you know, it also, it's like her, they, they also add the, the trope of her husband's kind of milk toast and submissive. And it's like, it's just sure. designed to set, uh, to, to, to set a, uh, most men's teeth on edge and apparently a lot of women too, because I don't think anyone is like, yay, this woman. Sure. But, yeah, yeah. you it, know, it almost feels to me like maybe she, coaxed him into doing this this uh what is what is the term for it embezzlement yeah the thing is at the end of the episode he finally does stand up to her to do i guess the right thing (laughs) yeah but after they have no options he has no (laughs) options and and she accepts that so it's like they kind Mm -hmm. of invert the trope at the end but and they seem like a fairly loving couple too it's just 
Yeah, and like it's that's other it things. It just feels weird. off. It's it a, feels off in like a Fargo way, which I know she is in Fargo, so I'm probably just uh, drawing that conclusion. But hmm. it feels just kind slightly off kilter to me. They're just so living on a different plane, and I mm-hmm. like that's the other thing that we got got kind of got away from is her kids in the camp experience were like, oh, this is bullshit, and you're starting to see like behind the Kettleman's perfect veneer. Like, their kids hate them, and they kind of secretly had this toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. But then when Mike's, you know, having his Apple Fest uh, in their backyard, they're just doing charades and all the stupid Kettleman shit. And until the money, you know, they, the dad has to get tough about where the money's been, yeah. it was paradise. And I'm like, they're kind of muddying the narrative there for me. I like it better when they're this plastic people that were secretly miserable mm-hmm. instead of these... You know, like like something straight out of Mister Rogers' neighborhood with an edge. I, I don't know. I I thought yeah. they were going the one way, and then they went back this way, and it's just not totally working for me. Yeah, I feel you. But they're gross. They're the, the bottom line is they're a gross couple. They're an engineered to be extremely gross and have a visceral reaction to. Sure. Uh, so they they refuse that deal and they fire HHM. Uh, then we go to Jimmy, who's hosting Bingo Night, and. Just like uh, the vitamin. Oh, no, B6 is like the vitamin. It's Yeah, this is this is such a funny setup here. I don't, I don't know. J- Every time I see Jimmy doing, like, sort of unscrupulous things, uh-huh. like, I, he's helping these people, but at the same time, I feel like he's bilking these people at this... Plus, he's being so broadly patronizing. Yeah, it's like B6, like the vitamins you should all be taking. And they're, and they're at some... What I really like to see, again, like I said at the the Jello episode, or Alpine Shepherd Boy, mm-hmm. I would like to see some awareness on the old folks that they know they're being played, but this is kind of like, well, you know, it's better than watching Matlock on television yet again. But mm. they play all the old folk as kind of delusional. Yeah. And maybe, maybe that's truer to, truer to life if you're in a in, in a nursing home and you're lonely, that you just do latch hmm. to any any show of interest, no matter how artificial, like Could Rose clings to a head, a bedroom headboard or chest or whatever in the Titanic. I, I don't I don't know, but it's depressing. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of wish if we're making fiction, I kind of wish that we'd see a little bit as like, like, what would Mike look like in a nursing home? Can oh, I get man. can I get one mic with his arms crossed, like a roll in his eyes, and like calling bullshit in the background? I just need one. I just need one. I know those people are out there. Sure, like the uh, there's sons of bitches in nursing homes, like like Clint Eastwood in Grand Torino or something. Yeah, you know the guys who just they've had enough right. of life, really. Right, and they're just there for the rest of the ride. And, right, <laughs> and they they're not going to put up with your bullshit. Yeah, nobody's like that here. Uh huh. Uh, all right. Um, there's there's a bingo bingo ball cam here, which was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's inside of the uh, I don't even know what you call that, like the dome that yeah. the bingo balls roll yeah, around. Yeah, even the mechanisms you could see the ball feeding thing. Yeah, and then he, I don't know, he his who was the woman in the vest that was she was the mic she in the scene. Did not she want to be was there. rolling her eyes and calling <laughs> bullshit on everything. Uh-huh. Is he like an assistant? She paid. He paid his. Is she? She a, might work like there. a regular at the bingo hall because there are bingo halls. Oh yeah, I don't oh, know if yeah. that's just a, like a you know flyover country thing, but there's several mm. of the within driving distance of us. Yep, I used to drive by one all the time. Uh, he gets a call from the Kettleman's. We who should crash hire him. one sometime. Uh, okay, 
we'll do a lunch with Jim and Aaron from a bingo hall. <laughs> <laughs> we will. We can get a bunch of kitten journals and pins and stuffed animals, and we can Put run a ball bingo, yeah. bingo night. And we'll start practicing elder law. And we will have mics there. <laughs> we will definitely have mics there. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, so he gets a call. The Kettlemans want to hire him, and then he goes to meet with him at a diner. Um, he he calls Kim, and she asks him to convince the Kettlemans to come back to HHM um, after they hire him. And he, he tries, but they won't do it. Right. Like, well, it's... I don't. I don't know why they would. They just fired. Yes, Kim. It's. It's not that they wouldn't do it. It's the extra detail that they threaten him uh, to to expose his part of the embezzlement. Sure, which the, Kim doesn't know about. Kim just thinks they're being stubborn assholes, which makes yeah. sense. But Jimmy knows that he didn't try as hard as he might have because of of that that uh, little detail. Sure, and he's got to find a solution that does not involve him going to jail at this point. <laughs> but I love the scene of him trying, like, you know, Bob Odenkirk seems like he could be this type of person that's just like, no, no, sh- 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 shut up. I need to get this out for my own sanity. Uh, like, I yeah, need yeah. to explain to you in non-cuckoo land terms how fucked you are and for you to acknowledge. I need to see it in your eyes that it's sinking uh, in or else I'm going to go crazy. But they don't give him that. <laughs> well... That's the thing. Like, when he got there, I felt like the facade did lower a little bit. And she, like, by threatening him this overtly, she's showing that, no, she knows what's going on. Um, So what is is their deal? The Kettleman's? They know know that they stole the money. They know that they have the money. Yeah, they think they they can get away with it. They know that he knows. What is this... What is this refusing to to talk about real terms with your attorney. Mm, I, I don't know. They, they want to maintain their innocence, obviously like they want a trial. They want this. They want to get away with it, man. I mean, I, I think it's cause they we got desperately want to get away with this. We money. got another email from Doug. Um, when he talks about some of the ethics and morality of this, but I just have so many questions, especially after seeing jinx, the climax mm. of jinx this weekend. And over the weeks, I'm like, you know, there's a lot of rules about defense attorneys and what they can and can't do when, you know, a client is innocent or not innocent. But it seems like the best ones just throw that shit out the window. <laughs> okay. Like, that doesn't seem above. As a lawyer, Jimmy. you have to know all of the facts and truth about the story. If all the facts and truths do come out, then there's a lot of things you can't do, it seems like to me as a defense attorney, but they do anyway. So there's got to be this nudge, nudge, wink, wink going on in the legal community with some of these criminal, really successful criminal defense lawyers. Okay. Uh, how, how, what, where are you going with this? I'm just saying that, oh, well, now I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cause no, I'm just saying, I don't like, either. I'm saying, like, it, it seems their attitude where they're just refuse to admit guilt even when they're talking in a privileged way. Oh, with it their seems attorney. like a bad idea. Yeah. It's not, not just a bad idea. It just, I, well, and of course they they make it out to be like this guy's a moron. Mm-hmm. Like he embezzled it in the most transparent way too. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how did this guy get in the position where he's able to do all these things? He got away with this much money before he was caught, and 
but, and, and still maintain thing. an awareness somehow of what all is going on. And I, it's, are, are we sure that Mrs. Kettleman does not want him to go to jail for a very long time? She seems upset, but then she could seem But she's upset. upset by not keeping the money, I think. And the fact that he's only going to be there for 18 months. Maybe that exactly. was the thing. Like she, she wants him there for 30 years, and she wants the money. Hmm. So if this goes to trial and he's found guilty... She still has the money. So in that case, the innocent act would be more for her husband's benefit than anybody's. Because to really set that hook, she she needs him to think that she's doing this for him. This is, you know... Oh, sure, yeah. So, yeah. But, but it also has the duplicitous second uh, effect of well, we'll getting see. him in prison for a very long time because it's so transparent. We'll see because I think if, if Vince and the ghoul, if the Villigan and the ghoul are intending that, we will know before the season's I, over. Yeah, I think you're right. If yeah. we never see any more closure on this, then that's just going to be headcanon. Yeah. Def- but it's, it's good head headcanon. Okay. Uh, Jimmy goes to HHM to pick up the Kettleman files, of which there are a boatload. Uh, he meets Kim in the garage, and they talk about the Kettleman case. She wishes him luck, even though she thinks he's screwed. Yeah, I mean, this is something that he said uh, way back when. Like, this cash you have is a very very big chip you can play. Yeah. That's the one thing they refuse to play. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's... Well, no, she got this deal with them handing back all the cash. So... I, th- I think it's interesting when Saul... Sorry, Jimmy... I don't wall. think it matters. I, I don't either, but we everyone feed- calls him Jimmy. We got feedback that um, someone asked if we, in, internally, how do we think of him as Saul? And honestly, it's, I think inter- it's kind of interchangeable for me. It's, okay. it's already this far. It's like I say Jimmy and Saul almost 50-50. Yeah. I don't think that's a hard mistake to make. And I don't think it's a mistake. Okay. okay. <laughs> more to the point. Fair enough. He is kind of morphing uh, along this series path. Uh, anyway, the the office that he walks through for HHM here is set up almost identically to the office that he is looking at buying or oh, leasing, yeah. and it's full of people and activity, and this is something that is completely off Jimmy's radar, right? He's not going to get to this for a very long time, if ever. Seems like it. Uh, and it it doesn't look like ever. I mean, based on Better Call Saul. Sure. Uh, and his commercials and his office in Breaking Bad. Uh, I, I just thought it was interesting to see him walking through this place that is so much more successful than he is. Yeah, that even his fake, his fake version of this success is by default, you know, is less successful. Yeah, and, and you then can they buy have... a building, but you can't, you know, get the people, you know, that yeah. you need to run the cases without mm-hmm. having the cases, right? Sure. And it's it's also funny to see there are more boxes of files on this one Kettleman case than he has boxes <laughs> of files, period. And they're being stored in a in an abandoned office. Granted, it was Kim's office. Sure. But it's just an office they don't even need. They've got so much space. They've got so many offices and wings. They don't even need it. Mm. So they're storing files there. Yeah. It's, it's Although there could have been a um, – I'm coming around to the idea that Hamlin's a smart dude. And this could have been some strong arm by him. Like, you need to make this right. You need to get this client back or look at what we've done to your... Ah, yeah. Your, the the cornfield? We put her oh, in the cornfield and we're using her office. Not because we need the office. Mm-hmm. Not because there's some up-and-coming young gun that we need to put in here. We're just doing this purely as a punitive measure. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot, of, a lot of gamesmanship and showmanship on both sides here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy pours over the paperwork... And he's looking for the loophole in the Kettleman case. He doesn't really seem to find it, but he comes up with another idea, grabs the money out of the ceiling, 
Ceilings are a traditional Breaking Bad hiding spot. Sure. You know, Walt's got his cell phone in the ceiling. Jimmy's got his money in the ceiling, uh, along with sinks. Under under the sink seems to be another thing. traditional Breaking Bad hiding place. Right, right. The, that and you know why not? Why not? I like sure. the the homages. I really love the ambient sound and just the the just just scenes of him pouring over law books with the water heater burbling away <laughs> next to him. And like you think, like what a uh-huh. miserable steampunk environment to work in. I guarantee there's no water heater in Hamlin's office. <laughs> if it is, it's in his Keurig or whatever exotic <laughs> steam press uh-huh. cappuccino, which thing is he's built got. into the wall. I'm sure, certain. sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we get a, a really cool, I, I thought, a really cool scene of Mike finding the money in the Kettleman's house. That, that's how I'm going to describe it, because it's a very long scene. There's no dialogue whatsoever. Um, I was wondering how you would take this, because at the end, I became aware of just how much time they spent on this. Yeah. Long but the other, on the other hand, I was spending the whole time watching like, yeah. I mean, I was just completely glued to the set, and I mm-hmm. thought it was all riveting. Yeah, super smart, too. In, like, a low-stakes, low-rent Ocean's Eleven kind of way. Yep. Mm-hmm. But that was still super interesting for me. Yeah. Yeah. We get Mike uh, eating a bunch of apples. <laughs> which it is. Which He's... we know in Breaking Bad history, the apple is a signifier of an asshole. We've, we got some feedback on that, yeah. Yeah, because I, I remember Vince Gilligan saying, yeah, if you want to make someone look like an asshole. Yep, that's exactly. Have him eat an apple. And Mike eats three. Is it we, just we three? S- at least three. At least three that I saw. I thought the there was like of. five apple cores, there but could I be. didn't. Yeah. I didn't actually rewind it to see the the number. But yeah, he's, you know, he's quite the asshole. I guess he's on the brat diet. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. What do you think of the music here? It, I loved it. Kinda, it it kind of repeats over and over again, but it I was, thought it was super. Again, cool. it was very swanky, kind of Ocean's Eleven scheming. Do you know it, if this was Dave Porter? Is this his mm, stuff? It must be if it, unless it was a actually licensed piece of. Uh, music and it's certainly well within his his uh wheelhouse yeah i would think so um but i liked it i and the the reason what i really liked about how long it took to play out is you could kind of formulate your own ideas of what he's actually trying to do there sure like when he put the money he's spraying the money put on an rc car i'm like mm-hmm. is this going to be like a high-tech version of the throw a dollar bill on a fishing line and kind of like <laughs> you know it's like what uh-huh. is he gonna is 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 because he, then he had the thing with the long antenna, and it turned out he was listening to, like, a baseball game or something. Yeah, because he's going to Al- be camped out there for a while. Albuquerque isotopes or whatever. Yep. But I thought, it's like, is that the controller? Like, what is what is the end game? And then, yeah, it just, it was a pleasure to watch. Mm-hmm. It went on forever. I, I actually think the pacing was perfect. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with it at all. Uh, so Mike brings the money back to Jimmy, who puts his share back into the bag, and then Mike takes it off. Um we find out that he's going to the DA with it. Yeah. And Mike uh, is incredulous. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Putting this money back. As as opposed to going to the Bahamas with it, which is what Jimmy didn't want him to do. Uh, yeah, Mike's yeah. a stand-up guy. Yeah. And he did this thing, this breaking and entering, to settle a what's kind of a bogus legal debt between him and Jimmy. Like, he, yeah, I don't know he what Jimmy could have possibly billed him for, <laughs> how inflated it could be, but... You know, probably thousand dollars of the legal representation at the most. Yeah, yeah, and so Mike did a fairly complicated. You know, that's that's like a, what four hours of his time plus mm-hmm. risking jail and all this other stuff uh, for you know a thousand dollars bet or a debt. Yeah, and he's a guy on the run anyway, so 
1.6 million in the Bahamas looks pretty good. But that's that the cool thing guy. about Mike is that like he's entering a person's house and he's just so smooth about it. Yeah. He is like he the idea of him getting caught by the Kettlemans, you can tell by that he thinks that it's it's less than zero. And uh-huh. as the audience, it's like this this is essentially a milk run for him. So sure. why wouldn't he? Mike is so badass that breaking and entering is just a thing he does. And even if he gets it's like caught. Take, it's, like, it's like taking someone's laundry to the cleaners to him. Yes. Maybe distasteful. It's beneath me, but eh, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll help a buddy out. Yeah. So so let's say Mike's under the sink. He's looking for the money there. Lights the Kettleman's up. flip on the lights. I don't think he even turns around and says, Hi. <laughs> He continues on his way. He grabs the bag of money. He yeah. calmly walks out the door as they are protesting and screaming and right. saying, I'm going to call the cops. I don't think he bats an eye. Right. So there's two ways this can go down. <laughs> you can get out of the doorway uh-huh. or you can be flat on your ass in about three seconds. It's your choice. <laughs> uh, Jimmy goes to the Kettleman's house and tells them their money is on the way to the DA and that they should go back to Kim and get their deal. And after some some prodding from him and from Mr. Kettleman, Mrs. Kettleman agrees, and Jimmy takes them over to HHM to meet with Kim. Yeah, and he he fucks them, and yeah. with like every possible thing you can think of to do in retaliation is going to be worse for you than it is for me. Mm-hmm. And also, I have nothing to lose. You presumably have your whole future. Sure, you know, you got kids, and what are you gonna do with right. that? I started and... off. I started this career, this 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 character arc in jail. Yeah. So if I get back, it's kind of like karma. You, <laughs> on the other hand, one one of the reasons that I think that Mrs. Kettleman is kind of hoping her husband goes to jail here is that when Jimmy mentions that she's now implicated herself, uh, she turns around. Yeah. She goes, "Oh no, you're right. Uh, we better give this money back." That's. That's a giveaway for me. Yeah, I mean, because at the end of the day, she's married to Mr. Kettleman, and he seems like a loser. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, aside from being manipulated into stealing a bunch of money yeah. for her, I, I think, yeah, he's pretty much a loser. It's like one of those situations where you wake up every day and like, oh, God, I'm still married to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> How do I get him in prison? <laughs> Embezzlement. And, and better yet, and make myself rich. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I really like the image of the Kettleman sitting in the back of Jimmy's car. <laughs> it's yes. just so sad. Yes, yes. You're being chauffeured to look, your doom they, by this. They look so miserable, too. They do. It's great. Uh, so Jimmy goes to his new office after that. Uh, what did you... So we had someone ask a question about what did Kim mouth. I thought it was pretty clear uh, she mouthed thank you. I think so. Yeah, it'd be funny if she mouthed uh, "fuck you." I thought that would be funny too. Uh, but no, it seems like she's like, you know, "thanks, you thanks for doing this for me." Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, so obviously, Jimmy did her a favor here. I yep. wonder how much she's going to gain back by by getting these clients back. Is is well, Hamlin going to just forgive all of it if he? I the only reason I feel like he won't because number one is because he's kind of an asshole. Mm-hmm. Number two is because if he does or she's even better off than she is now, then that kind of makes her transition to Jimmy's assistant or Jimmy's partner rather mm-hmm. trickier, right? And I feel like I'm Absolutely. with you. That's where this is going, and that's why I feel like this is such a 
uh, selfless act by Jimmy to get sure. these clients back for her because he desperately wants her to be his partner. She is less likely to do that now that he's gotten that case back for her. Yeah. And and it was a cool thing of him to do. Especially since I, I always thought their threat to him about this being in an, you know, like you took a bribe is kind of hollow because, I mean, I guess Prove he does it. have this all on the books, but if they did offer him a retainer, how is he supposed to know whether that, I mean, is is there a, uh, a some kind of responsibility? Maybe this is a good one for Doug to take on next week. But is there some kind of responsibility for a lawyer to ascertain the, that the money he's being paid with is not ill-gotten goods? Because other way, sure. how did Levy ever get away with it on the wire? Yeah. You know, like you got to know that sure, this, like, there's, there's white and, powder all over these hundreds, man. I can't t- keep taking this Coke money or <laughs> yeah, this yeah. heroin money. What the fuck? Sure. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the rules are there. But it feels like that he could just be like, they gave they gave me a retainer. This mm-hmm. is a reasonable retainer for a high-profile case. Yeah. They have money. Look at their fucking house. Look at their boats. How was I supposed to know that this was part of the embezzlement? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't feel like that they ever had him on the horns of Dilemma more than he just really wanted to help out Kim. Yeah. Like you said. And that's it. That's it for the episode. Yes, have any other, other thoughts? Uh, Not really. It was pretty... I mean, it, it was an incredible scene at the end of him losing his shit in this office mm-hmm. uh, because this was his one shot. We know eventually he's going to end into a sad little shopping mall with an inflatable Statue of Liberty. He's just going to be a big joke. I mean, mm-hmm. he's going to be a celebrity and all, but he's not going to ever be the HH and M. And yeah. I think this is kind of him coming to grips with that. And he's hmm. breaking down and crying, but then at the end, he has to put on his Mrs. Doubtfire voice and answer the phone. And I thought that performance by uh, Odenkirk was just incredible. It was. Yeah. And it made me feel yeah. for Jimmy in a way that I didn't suspect I ever would. Sure. Like, it's starting to come become clear to me that, no, this isn't ever going to be the high stakes, uh, or at least, you know... Certainly not early on, where there's multiple murders and people dying and very and corpses being dissolved. It's not going to be that type of show, but it certainly has enough heart to the hook you in. Definitely, yeah, and I think we'll get more to that kind of uh, bananas show. Do you think somewhere so? along the line? I just don't. I see... think once Nacho comes back into the picture, yeah, but still, it's like once Gus comes into the picture, the cartel. Like I, I think, huh. yeah, there's potential for a lot of carnage there. But it's not, is it going to be stuff that Jimmy's personally responsible for? Oh, like killing people? Yeah. I, probably not. No. Is Saul going to kill people? That's what I'm saying. Like, is he, yes, his life can be in jeopardy, but we've talked about how that, I mean, I guess threatening Kim. I, yeah, you're yeah. right. It's too early to say that, but I'm like, if it never even goes there, I guess I don't even mind. Okay. Fair enough. Before we get into feedback, just want to take another opportunity to say thanks for listening. And if you enjoy what we're doing here at Bald Move, know that we are an independent operation almost entirely supported by the generosity of you, the listener. Mm-hmm. One way you can do that and get some cool stuff in return is by using our new Club Bald Move, which you can get to at club.baldmove.com. Uh, you can get for as low as a buck a month, and you can get ad free an ad-free feed for our podcast. You don't have to listen to this ever again. You can see us record the podcast live. You can get some cool behind-the-scene things for like skits and special exclusive video stuff like our Lunch with Jim and Aaron's, where we just sit around and chat with the fans. Uh, and a lot of other uh, cool premium perks. Uh, you'll notice if you go to the the Bald Move page, there's a lot of stuff that's that's premium for members only. Get exclusive access to a VIP section of the forums. Again, all that for a buck a month. 
It's a pretty good deal. Check it out at ball, club.baldmove.com. Let's get into feedback. Guy A in Montana said, uh, has some questions about the nature of Saul and Mike's relationship and the believability of it. Okay. So it's first based on the nature of the relationship between Saul and Mike established in Breaking Bad. They're going to have to be careful on how this all plays out in Better Call Saul. I have just rewatched Breaking Bad to get ready for Better Call Saul, so details are still fairly fresh in my mind. Mike and Saul's relationship is an interesting one. Saul seems to believe he's the one pulling Mike's strings, or at least a position of has a position of authority over Mike, while Mike seems to tolerate Saul as a necessary annoyance of his working relationship with Gus. I never got the sense that Mike and Saul had a history that might be considered respectful collaboration gained by past years of being a team. In fact, there's one scene that has come to my mind. I cannot remember which episode, but Mike is on the phone with Gus, and he's speaking, uh, take, seeking direction from Gus. He asks Gus, what about the lawyer? Of course, referring to Saul. Using the lawyer instead of his name implies a true professional disdain Mike has for Saul. Do you agree so far? Um, not totally, because Saul doesn't even know Gus at the beginning of Breaking Bad, right? He knows, he knows a, a guy who knows a guy. Knows a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but we don't know if that's him being honest. And also, Mike's the type of guy who, if he was talking to a third party about Gus, might call him the chicken guy. I mean, sure. He clearly respects Gus, but Mike's that kind of guy. But I do by the nature of their Mike's relationship with Jimmy, though, you do? in Breaking Bad, is that he has disdain for yeah. Saul. Uh, that characterization, I think, is fair. It is. They, I do agree that they have to be kind of careful that this can't get too buddy-buddy, unless they have a falling out. That's the other way. They could get to where they're really working well together and they have a falling out for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, that could also reset the relationship, so it's season two, That's Breaking true, Bad yeah. levels. Uh, he continues, in uh, starting in 106, they seem to be setting up some type of collaboration between Mike and Jimmy. Which would make sense since the show is about Jimmy developing into the Saul of the series, Breaking Bad, with the influence and possible help of Mike. The problem here is how do you do this while maintaining what we know about the relationship in Breaking Bad? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think we, it's tricky. I'm with that. you. Uh, I I don't know how they're going to do it. The second part of the email I really liked. Second, knowing Mike's backstory does shed some light nicely on elements of Breaking Bad, particularly his relationship with Jesse. You definitely get the impression that Mike takes Jesse under his wing and develops a genuine connection with him. This relationship can now be seen as an echo of Mike's relationship with his own son, of which he has lost, and this makes a ton of sense. Mike would be seeking a surrogate son, although he would never admit it, and when Jesse first reciprocates respect back to Mike after robbery set up, this must spark in Mike something he has not felt since Maddie was alive. He was again put on a pedestal, so to speak, and had someone to mentor. This relationship continues to, to, to grow to the point where Mike genuinely cares about Jesse and wants him away from Walt's influence. I like that because yeah. it's like Jesse was, you know, he broke his boy. If he could unbreak some other boy, mm-hmm. then that might make it a little bit easier to come to peace with what happened with Matt. Yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. And the father-son thing he had going to Jesse makes sense in that context, I thought. Mm-hmm. It also gets depth to the other, because, you know, like Walt and Mike, kind of like the two different dads battled for his soul. It gives a little depth and meaning to that as well. Uh, Patrick McBee said, uh, okay, so we, we got, uh, <laughs> you broke the podcast with your suggestion that Andrew Garfield should play a young Mike Demantraub. <laughs> <laughs> and it sparked something of uh, a flood of people suggesting. Uh-huh. Uh, somebody in Facebook suggested that Mike's 
or Jonathan Banks' own son should play young Jonathan Banks. And all right, it's pretty good. Does he look like? Yeah. Well, does he look like any version of Jonathan Banks? He does. They all look he the looks same. like a better look. He looks like the better looking younger version of Jonathan Banks you wanted to see in his thirties, rather than the reality of Jonathan okay, Banks. Perfect. Because because Shane posted that comparison. Oh God, Jonathan Banks. Like you can tell he's thirty years younger, but the essential bankiness is there, man. <laughs> oh, oh, it's there in spades. <laughs> it shocked me how much yeah. he just looks like Mike. Uh, I think he's a man in his, what must be his late twenties, given the year that I think. Yeah, he was thirty exactly on the nose. Okay, thirty years old. The man looks like he's forty-five, fifty. I would say. <laughs> okay, fifty. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was shocked by that. He's got slightly more hair uh-huh. and a slightly less craggy face. But the young, the young Mike, the the young TV version Mike, yeah, might look like Garfield. No. Yeah. No, you're crazy. I, th- I think it would. Uh, I suggested in Facebook thread Squidworth from uh, oh, Jesus. from SpongeBob SquarePants. Uh huh. That's a good one. Uh, Patrick B says, "Look up the yellow bastard from Sin City." Boom! Perfect young man trout. Yeah. And I don't think he means Nick Stahl. No, no, no. Who's the, famous from for Terminator Three, playing the young John Connor? I think he means literally uh-huh. yellow bastard. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Just put some flesh tone makeup on him. He's good to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny H said, I would just like to give Jim the credit for providing the world with the worst casting decision of all time by saying, <laughs> stating that Andrew Garfield could play a young Mike the Mantrout. I have I, no idea what the thought process was this was here. I can't imagine an actor less suited for the role. What are you talking about? However, have Ar- you seen the social network? He's completely different than he is in a lot of other stuff there. He, yes, he's but an he's actor. no closer to the Mantrout. Yeah, he looks. He looks not even just, the same. He's not, he looks just like the TV version of Young Man Trout. If Mike's the Man Trout, then he's a mammal. Like he's like on not even the same branch of of <laughs> evolutionary development. He continues. Aaron's reaction to his comment caused much hilarity. So good work, Jim. Ryan Gosling could do a decent job of early thirties Mike based on his silence performance and drive. Although he's get probably the fuck out of here. Oh, you have no no. Get you the fuck can't out say here. that with your Andrew Garfield. Well, so I'm I'm biased now because I've seen the Young Man Trout. Mm-hmm. The Young Man Trout has no hair. <laughs> Ryan Gosling has a glorious head of hair. No, I and- think I think Leonardo DiCaprio would be a good young. <laughs> Mike Ehrman. Uh, Channing Tatum. What? Channing what? Tatum, done. All right, you've lost the thread, man. You've gone <laughs> off the reservation. No, I'm just taking it to its logical conclusion. Okay. Uh, Jim JJ, I unfortunately... Jim JJ? How many J's are in that name? Three, apparently. Christ. Uh, he, uh, way before the deadline, he sent this in like the 1st of March, and I missed it because I do a lot of filtering my emails. Um, I mean, he was he was uh, upset because he actually called the entire five uh, O episode. So I want to read his email and give him some credit. Hmm, okay, uh, he talked. I think that one of the reasons he got because I kind of skim emails and uh, things that have similar elements. I give credit to the first person who sent it in. Yeah, and he had the theory that Mike's daughter is actually his daughter in law. So that tripped my okay. We've considered this. Someone else got to it first. Yeah, but he continued in this scenario. Mike's son probably died, maybe in Afghanistan, or maybe as a result from some mistake Mike made in Philly. His daughter-in-law might have returned to the ABQ, her hometown, and Mike followed her to be near his only remaining family, his granddaughter. If Mike's son died as a result of something Mike did in Philly, it would also explain why the daughter-in-law has little or no interaction with Mike. To what extent internet points are valuable and can be redeemed, you got all the internet points. Sure. Take them. So that's pretty... I don't pretty, want them. Pretty, pretty savvy prediction there. Adam J. said, you both were hypothesizing why future Saul... Saul 
Sal Saul would be looking over his shoulder in Nebraska and couldn't think of it uh, if anyone or any who Jesus, this is a I edited this sentence poorly. <laughs> you spoke it poorly. You well. were both <laughs> hypothesizing why Saul, future Saul, be looking over his shoulder in Nebraska and couldn't think of anyone who survived Breaking Bad. Didn't the resurrection of massive spoiler of ongoing television show character teach you anything? They're not dead till we see them put in the ground. Lydia could very well still be above ground and seeking vengeance. She has the resources and motivation to survive the Stevia tea. Here's the thing. Especially after Walt gives her the information she'd have needed to get treatment and survive. That's not a bad point. If Lydia survives, that's a betrayal of Walt's character. How? Because Walt is too smart for that. Walt does not alert her and then have her go to the doctor and get a shot and be healed. Well, I don't know. Walt's master plan was to kill her. If Walt's master plan does not work out, I feel like that is a betrayal of Walt's character because his master plans always work out. But I think he mentioned even like if you get to doctor now, maybe you can be you can they can save you. Although you'll have to lose most of your intestines and never you have to be eaten for like. I don't think it's a betrayal of Mike's character if she comes back like Ivy bag and she's like sunken skin and she's not she can't wear Louis Vuittons anymore because her ankles have caved in. <laughs> and she's shit kind of abomination. She's shitting in a bag outside of her bag and she's like I've come for you, Saul. So so she's Tio. Yes. She comes yes. back as Tio. The Lydia version of Tio is not, <laughs> instead of the ding, you've got the fart bag, colostomy bag. I stand by my idea that Walt's master plans always work and mm. that that is his master but, plan well, to kill Lydia. But his master plan could have been also either die or you live a, you live a fate worse than death. Mm. Like, I can't make you be a, pa- a cancer patient and die slowly over cancer, but I can destroy your GI system. And there's not enough B6 vitamin <laughs> so in the universe that. to save you. Take that. No, I see that's that's that could be that could be something. <laughs> Fine. A lot of people are... <laughs> I think it would be a little over the top to have a sunken Lydia come back in season two <laughs> of this show. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. It's it depends I whether they played a SARS or they played a straight up. I mean sure. whether it's like the last so, She so, rolls up to the Cinnabon. I don't hate it as the last scene of the series. <laughs> Like black and white, you see Lydia roll up in the thing with her, her <laughs> right? With her caved in ankles. <laughs> yeah. All right, sure. Why not? Like, that's something that would work. And they play some kind of like pop culture tune and then, <laughs> then crane shot zoom out into the sky. And, yep. you know, the light's winning. And there you go. Are we going to have caved ankle cam? <laughs> uh, anyway, let's see. Uh, I need to find a way to recover from this <laughs> where we're at. Aaron S., here's a quote from... Oh, I want to say also we got a lot of feedback about what Saul's on the run from. And people like, you know, he laundered all this money. He did all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but I guess I always assumed that Saul did this in such a way that... You know, whether you, whatever you think of Saul, he did seem like he had some talent as a criminal lawyer, mm-hmm. and he had a lot of tapes and a lot of incriminating things that he kept on him for doomsday scenarios like this. And I just, I just always took it as a matter of faith that nothing that he did with Walt would ever come back to bite him. It'd just be like, well, it's attorney-client privilege, and he was my, you know, blah blah blah, and yeah. I never took it as like the cops could come to him and like, oh, your fingerprints are all over this money laundering and you fucked up. And maybe that's naive of me. I mean, the idea of a lawyer is to 
like a defendant is to defend criminals, right? These are people who oftentimes are very, very, very guilty. It's, I, I don't know that you can say that by extension their lawyers are guilty of well, crimes the, necessarily. Yeah, I mean you surely can, but you need evidence. You need lots of evidence. Yes, you you need a ton of evidence, not just that the person he was representing committed a crime, but that he directly committed crimes. And I feel like I here, think that's hard to get. Here's the other thing: if you have a lot of money and you're in legal trouble, you flee to a tropical non-extradition treaty country. Mm-hmm. If you are wealthy and you are in criminal trouble, like, uh, you know, Ving Rhames, I want a brother in a bowl of rice ready to pop his ass in Indochina, uh-huh. you, you go to the cleaner and you can completely change your life and you go into hiding. Yeah. So it's like, also, his Cinnabon thing, he's afraid of the thug. He wasn't afraid of, like, a well-dressed man in a suit. So I, I still think that well, he, he he thinks he's in trouble from a criminal, like, people going to pop a cap in his ass standpoint. yeah he he checked out early um as far as sure. the events of breaking bad are concerned right sure like he doesn't know who's dead who's alive anything like that although that's not hard to find out yeah sure like just reading yeah. the newspapers would find would would mm-hmm. you know the obituaries uh, number one for so people like i'm lydia. back to thinking i don't know what he's necessarily running from it's it's, it's lydia god it's, lydia's uh, coming with her her ankles her ankle and her batons tied around her neck uh anyway back to aaron aaron s said, mm-hmm. this is a quote from Shotgun Episode 4 of Season 5, a Breaking Bad by Mr. Ermintrout. You are not the guy. You're not capable of being the guy. I had a guy, but now I don't. You are not the guy. My question is, do you think we will ever find out who that guy is? I thought it was fairly clear he was talking about Victor, played by the late, great Jeremy. Well, he's not late. Huh. He's still alive. The actor, Jeremy yeah. Bitsui. Uh, Victor is is late and great. Mm-hmm. I thought he was talking about him. Hmm. He Maybe. seemed like he was I... his second in command, and then Tuvok took over in, in season four. I always get the impression that Victor worked directly for Gus, but I'm not sure no. why. Mike is head of the security. There's no way. And do you think that Mike is yeah, like the fix? Like he's know. like the the Mister Wolf. He's called in like as a specialist, and that's, then that's what it felt like to me. Saul's but... got a lot of like bodyguards and just dudes that are security, and Mike's I mean, not just part of that. The op- idea apparatus. that we never I, we never see them interact, do we? But all like Mike had his guys, yeah, and all it. got murdered in prison. That implies to me that he's at the top of that whatever that power structure is of the muscle of the distribution of a lot of different yeah. elements. Yeah, you you might be right. I just for some reason I was under the impression that. Victor was working directly for Gus because because they talk directly a lot, and I, I was thinking that was important. <laughs> I still think it is. Well, maybe Victor. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's uh, Magic Eight Ball would say answer unclear. But uh, who do you think the guy is then? Do I don't think, know. I don't think we've met him. Necessarily. Do you think we will meet him in this? Yeah, I feel like we probably will. I would love to see Jeremiah back. Yeah, that would be cool. Uh, Tommy the Duck says, hey, guys, who is Saul hiding from Omaha? Ah, this is the email I was talking about. Lots of people, but not criminals. He's hiding from the law. It will certainly be revealed in the aftermath of Walter White's case that Saul was as a lawyer slash money launderer. He'll have everyone from the DEA, ABQPD, and possibly even the FBI and IRS looking for him. He shouldn't be afraid of scary-looking Latinos in his new mall. He should be afraid of everyone in his suit. But he's not. I just don't know. I, d- I, don't, I don't know. I honestly don't know enough to, to know whether that's something he would realistically be afraid of or not. Sure. And it's depending on, I think, even if that is a realistic fear, fear 
how smart is Saul and how good was he at covering his tracks? So he's been a lifetime criminal. Sure. I mean, Slippin' Jimmy has got a lot of good ideas about how to make some money on the download. Yeah, but that's so slipping. Yeah. Okay. Running, running scams and being a con artist doesn't necessarily make you ultra competent. No, absolutely. But, but then now he's getting into lawyering. He's going to have seven years between this, between Jimmy and Saul. I, I don't know. That's a lot of time to get good at this stuff. Uh, Jim JJ uh, double dipped on us. He said in Breaking Bad, Walt took a bite out of the apple after the prison standings on the insider cast of Villigan, as you said, yeah, yeah. stated if you want someone to look like an asshole on screen, have him take a bite from an apple. Yeah. And bingo, Mike picks up, shines, and moves it to his mouth to take a bite, but the screen cuts away before his teeth sink in. Makes you wonder if the director wanted Mike to look like an asshole, but the editor tamed it down. Or is that an elaborate joke? They're like they're deliberately going not going to make Mike look like an asshole. Could be. You're going. You're you're expecting for the asshole bite. The asshole's implied. It's an implied. Yeah. Which is which is a lot more respectful way of doing it. <laughs> maybe Mike. Maybe Jonathan Banks showed him and said, it's "Like, I know what you're doing with this apple, Villigan. I I, I ain't gonna look like an asshole on screen." <laughs> uh huh. And they have to work this complicated... He's sitting in the editing room behind yeah, Kelly. Yeah, yeah. He's like telling what Kelly, frame to cut at. Right there. Right no farther. My, my teeth can't touch that skin. <laughs> <laughs> and who's going to tell him no? Sure. Uh, Barry C. said, Love the show. has been perfect so far. Zero complaints. Uh, it has been everything I've wanted out of a Breaking Bad prequel. Hmm. But... Do you guys think the season one needs a defining courtroom case? I was quite excited at the prospect of Saul defying the Wait, the, be- the fucking of the neck hole was not defining enough for you? I thought it was. Oh. Well, I think he's <laughs> talking about more in a positive case. Okay. I was quite right. excited at the prospect of Saul defying the odds and winning the impossible case it was the Kettleman's. You know, I remember mm-hmm. thinking, like, as yeah. he's pouring over the books, is like, I don't know how I feel about this, because if he beats this case, it's in a service for just ridiculous characters. Sure. And I was mm-hmm. kind of like, I don't know if I like that. And then I didn't have to worry about it. But. Yeah, I was kind of rooting for it. Um, Were you? Yeah. I'm with the... I root the for Jimmy, here. but not for the Kettleman's. Like, like, yeah, no, I, I could care less about the Kettleman's Throw the surviving. case, man. Uh, I just wanted him to find some kind of loophole that, that made him look like the, the hero of the day. Anyway, as it happens, I think Jimmy was reluctantly doing the right thing, and Mike's capering to find the money was a great end of that story arc and a surprising one. But it feels like in a show where Jimmy McGill becomes a criminal lawyer, we need to see some courtroom scenes, a la My Cousin Vinny, and a major courtroom story where Jimmy represents a very guilty criminal. Do you agree that Better Call Saul needs to get back to some, like, L.A. law-style, Boston legal-style, courtroom, you know, potboiler-type stuff uh, to be successful? Because I feel like it doesn't. I, I, I'm with you, and that has never been... We've never seen that from Saul. No. What we've seen is him busting in, being belligerent with the cops, and getting people out of detention. Hooking people up with the right scam artist to do the right thing that they need to do. I doubt he does a ton of arguing of cases. Like, what we've seen of him, he fills out wills. He goes in there. he, he, He... Comes in in a whirlwind, plays the right cards to get people off the hook well, we did temporarily. See, we did see a lot of his... And then makes deals. Like I, Yeah, you're right. I don't know that he is an exceptional arguer in court. Yeah, I mean, we got that legal Taj, but we never really got how, if he was good or not. We yeah. saw him making successful deals in restrooms and things like that. 
Yeah. But we just saw him doing a lot of Saul theatrical stuff in court. Who knows whether that's working or not? Yeah, it's all it's all kind of under the table stuff. I, I mean, he gets paid seven hundred bucks a case, whether he wins or loses. I assume it's true. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, Mike B from Minnesota said it took me way too long to figure that the ticking I kept hearing wasn't my furnace getting ready to blow up, but it was in fact a water heater in Jimmy's office. Uh, I just again, I thought that scene was fucking fantastic. I loved it. And he says, what yeah. do you call him in your head? Jimmy, James, or Saul? We kind of already ca- talked about this. So it's interchangeable. Yep. You're still a Saul man. I'm though. still Saul, yeah. I'd... You're a Saul man. <laughs> uh, Doug L. This is our resident attorney at law. Mm-hmm. He says uh, he covered a bunch of points. The ones I thought were interesting were as follows. Kettleman's check to himself. Kim makes a big point of this during the episode as a blunder on Kettleman's part, so it's important to understand why. The check is a document, and it would be an out-of-court statement subject to the hearsay rule. And I think the hearsay rule is very hard for me to understand because I knew a person was going through law school, and I was helping them study, and I it just seems like there's a bunch of arbitrary rules about what can and cannot be admissible, and a lot mm-hmm. of stuff like what kind of probate value it has versus how prejudicial it is and but like seems like the the <laughs> the most prejudicial stuff is also the stuff that proves your client guilty and hmm. you know it's like yes it's pre- it's extremely prejudicial to find out a smoking gun but anyway okay he continues the evidence rule in simplest uh, terms prevents person x from repeating an out of court ro- courtroom statement by person y for the truth of the matter asserted so if I testify that you said you went to the movies last night, that statement is inadmissible to prove that, in fact, you did go to the movies. But it could be admissible for another purpose, such as its effect on me. For example, why did I drive to the movie theater? Because you told me you'd be there. Does that make sense to you? No. Makes me either. <laughs> me uh... either. For example, um, he goes, uh, one of the exceptions to this rule is party admissions, statements by the plaintiff or defendant in a civil lawsuit, or in this case, the criminal defendant are not hearsay and therefore admissible, provided they're relevant and not prejudicial. Nope, this is why I'm not a lawyer. A, I don't get it, and B, don't give a fuck. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, I had another lawyer this wrote is so in far about outside like, of what I'm. Yeah, another lawyer wrote in when I kind of went on my mini rant about like I feel there's so many laws and rules of civilization that no one can possibly understand them. Yeah, he's like, yeah, even lawyers feel that way. Don't panic. I'm like. Oh, I'm that panicking. That makes me more panicked. I'm panicking. Yeah. Like, I don't understand an automatic transmission. If I go to the shop and the, the mechanic says, don't relax, I don't know what I'm doing either, I panic. I panic. Sure, and if not knowing an automatic transmission could send you to prison... Uh, yes. And if your mechanic at not the, knowing the automatic at, transmission could send you to prison, that's a problem. At the whim of whether a cop is in a good mood or a bad mood or whether he sees... It's like, it's Let's terrifying. switch it to brakes. Let's switch it to the brakes. So, like, the mechanic says, yeah, I don't I don't get brakes either, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fuck, I don't, there's some drum thing in there. I, I don't know. Yeah, your brakes... I would go to a different mechanic. Your brakes are going to work unless you've had a beer that night, or you're African-American. <laughs> right. Or someone in a 10-mile radius committed a crime in a car that looks like your uh-huh. car. Your brakes will work fine. Sorry, I panic. I panic. <laughs> yes. Um, anyway, the whole point is the fact that he made it from Kettleman to Kettleman removes the fact that's hearsay and like lands it on a silver platter and the prosecutor have to do more work if he hadn't. It's just shorthand for what an idiot Kettleman is. Okay. 
Uh, he also says 30 years. The Kim tells the Kettleman he's facing 30 years in prison. He looked it up in a New Mexico embezzlement of 20,000 or more carries a maximum sentence of nine years. Hmm. Uh, one thing I'd like follow up on that is. So if you steal like $10 million and hide it and go to prison for nine years and you get out, can you just start spending that money? Can you go dig it up in the desert and start spending it? Or is that like forever forfeit even after you've done the, 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 the time for it? Now, I've seen the movie Double Jeopardy. Okay. So you're well qualified to comment yes. on this. You cannot be tried twice for the same crime. I don't know if that money can be confiscated, but I don't think they could retry you no, if I you start spending it. I think you're right. They can't put you in jail again, but it okay. seems like they could just come up and like, yeah, we're taking all this money back if they found out you had it. Anyway, um, he says either Kim got it wrong or Kettleman committed other crimes along the way to acquire the money that would add to his sentence. I'm betting on the latter. I'm betting on this wasn't just embezzlement. It's probably obstruction of justice and being an asshole and having a crappy wife and torturing your kids with charades every night. There was a lot of stuff <laughs> they could stick him with. Mm-hmm. Uh, j said, obviously in Breaking Bad, Saul Goodman is somewhat of a local celebrity in Albuquerque with billboards. Bus stop bench ads and TV commercials. And, of course, in Better Call Saul, Jimmy McGill is operating as a lawyer in this same town. I've always assumed that Jimmy becomes Saul to escape in some way. This is something the Villigan and the Ghoul have also talked about, that Jimmy becomes Saul to solve a problem, and that this series asks the question, what is the problem that becoming Saul Goodman solves? But with all that this, he decides to stay in the same town where HH and M in the Saul Goodman period of Jimmy's life. Have they been destroyed or ruined? What about Chuck? I think we'll see his death before the end of the series. Perhaps most importantly, what about Kim? Where is she in the Breaking Bad time period? All good questions. Yeah. Uh, maybe he gets sued for using his own name by HHM and solves the problem by changing his name. But the thing that I really found intriguing is the Villigan and Gould's insistence that this is going to solve a problem and that that's a central question of the series. Yes, that does solve a problem, but the series surely is not set up to answer the question, uh, you know, Hamlin is suing you for using your own name. Yeah, no. I, I'm just using that else. as an example of a myriad of other questions or problems that this sure. should solve. But you know? also then it's like, okay, if, if something's bad enough to have to change your name, and then you're plastering your face all over the place in the same locale. Maybe people learn that Chuck is crazy. And they assume that Saul is crazy or Jimmy's crazy because they have the same name and nobody will do business with him. And so he changes his name to get away from that. Because he is I don't face, know. his own face is not recognizable. Although, man, you think that any time Saul Goodman's name comes up in the news or whatever, the first the second sentence in the news story about it is Saul Goodman, who used to be Jimmy McGill and who was a uh, you know small time local hero when he mm-hmm. saved the day, blah blah blah. Like I, I don't know. I mean, mm, yeah. I know from listening to Insider Podcast that Vince loves to paint themselves into a corner in the writers' room mm-hmm. and then figure out how the hell to get out of it, and that's when they come up with their brilliant twists. I assume he's doing something like that because I agree with Ian here. This seems like a corner that. If, if the question is so big and interesting that the whole series revolves around it, it's got to be some serious shit. But then how do you explain Saul's sh- putting his mug up everywhere? I mean, it implies yeah. like it's a mini Omaha type of move, right? 
I, I think that implication can certainly be drawn, but it's it's not necessary either. No, I like, guess there not. are just a ton of problems, quote unquote problems. I mean, how big is the problem? Uh, it's it's got to be big enough to justify the series in my mind, or it could be Vince and Ghoul are just talking out their ass. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think there are many ways to to bring that around. Another question for you. When do you think we'll first hear the phrase Better Call Saul in the show's main narrative? Last line of season one? Last line of the series? Thrown in as a catchphrase idea in the middle of an episode only to be discarded as ridiculous? In the show's main narrative? I mean, we've heard it already. We heard it in the opening scene of the series. He's watching his own commercials. Well, that's cheating. <laughs> like, wh- what, do you, what do you mean in the main narrative? It's like, like Nita he, Will call He McGill. decides to make those commercials? Is that No, I mean, when, mean? when do you hear Better Call Saul? Like, that's post- Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. Where's the origin? Like the same way we saw sure. uh, Nita Will call McGill, yeah, arrive at organically. When are we going to see the Better Call Saul campaigns arrive organically? No idea. <laughs> do you do you do you have it in mind? Like where it would like in the season one, in the season two? To me, not season one. They Definitely knew they had two season seasons. One. They knew they had two seasons. Unless something catastrophic happened because they had to deal with AMC and all that stuff before they even started shooting. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of expecting these first two seasons to be kind of one big arc. I could be foolish, but that's what I'm expecting. So if I were to bet, I would say Better Call Saul comes up towards the end of season two. Could be right. That's that a satisfying. Right. That'll be a satisfying moment for Breaking Bad fans. And, and, yeah. and Villigan knew he was going to get these two seasons. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't think they're writing two seasons all at once. So they so? see the success of season one. They can go, oh, we've got a season three, almost guaranteed. Uh, let's keep writing toward that. Huh. I don't know. I... Well, surely they haven't shot it, but I would be surprised if they no, haven't no, had no. that thing kind of whiteboarded. If you know you're yeah, going to have like two seasons, why would you? Real broad strokes, lay, maybe. Yeah, lay the tracks. You know, you don't... But that that stuff can all get upended. Like, oh, now we kn- we're pretty sure we get another season. Mm. What do we want to change about season two? Yeah, we can now punch this up. We're not. We're not. This isn't a series finale. This is. Yeah, I don't think this is like Breaking Bad, where they feel like they're in danger of being canceled constantly. Yeah, because the ratings have been good from the start. Yeah. Um. Even when compared with some of AMC's other shows. Sure. So, I I I don't know. I don't know where that leaves us, honestly. All right, that's our final email. You can send us more at bettercastsaw at baldmove.com. Of course, you can get on our forums and participate with the other fans on forums.baldmove.com. You can check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash baldmove, and uh, tweet at Jim at at baldmove. Just a reminder, uh, tomorrow at 3 p.m. or thereabouts, we'll have the interview with Alex and Dennis from Fail Scouts about their experiences making Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Uh, I had a great time talking to him. I think it's entertaining. Mm -hmm. Uh, So check that out. Be on the lookout for that. And we'll see you next week. All right. See you then. Bye-bye. 